0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Melanie. Well, here we are. We are this is the second sermon in our Psalms of Ascent series, which we'll be in uh, for another 13 weeks after this. Uh, the Psalms of Ascent are 15 psalms in the book of Psalms that were used as... Um, Kind of the the song book, the playlist, if you will, of pilgrims as they would make their way to Jerusalem to worship. And in last week's, we talked about how it was a leaving song. It was this song of, of acknowledging just the brokenness of the situation the psalmist was in, the hostility and the deception and the lies that were all around him. And this song is a song of embarking on the journey. And asking the Lord for help, and so we're going to get into it. And um, I want to, as we talk about the psalm, to talk about it through the lens of what's happening in our nation right now. And um, and I want to start by asking this question. And the question is, what do you use Scripture for? What do you use Scripture for? You maybe have never considered that question. What do you use a psalm like this for? Because what we draw on Scripture for, what we use it for, is going to tell us a lot about what we believe about its purpose. I'm going to say some things this morning that are vulnerable and I hope and trust that we have enough relational capital that you are going to receive my words in the spirit in which I intend them. Uh, And that is a spirit in which we might all grow in grace and truth. This week, our president posed for a photo which involved the use of smoke canisters and pepper bullets to disperse protesters so that he could have his picture taken in front of a church near the White House while holding up a Bible. That church had been damaged by people involved in protests outside the White House the night before. Some of those people involved in the protest were there because they were bent on destruction and violence and anarchy. Not all at some. Our country and much of the world has been responding to the death of an unarmed, handcuffed black man named George Floyd who died under the knee of a white police officer in Minneapolis. And our own city has been hosting marches and protests, and some of those have been peaceful, and with a message that is clear and aspects of it have also included violence and destruction. And I have been searching my own heart as I know many of you are because the wounds in this nation run deep and none of us are without some measure of complicity in some way. The anger over what happened with George Floyd was and is connected to also anger over inequality and injustice. And it has been rekindled during a global pandemic where we've been quarantined in our homes for months. So there's fuel added to the fire there. And that's to say nothing of tornadoes that went through our city, an impeachment, fires that ravaged much of Australia, murder hornets, a meteor the size of the Statue of Liberty missing our planet by a couple million miles, which is a lot to us, but to space, not much. And all of this is happening, by the way, during a major election cycle. We're afraid. And I didn't say afraid. We are frayed. We are threadbare. We're worn. And when I saw the president posing with the Bible, I felt angry. And I still do, because the Bible is not a political prop. And it seemed to me that he was using it in that moment not to urge peace by reading from it or to listen to the voices of the marginalized and frustrated, but to wield it as a political symbol. That's how I read it, and it broke my heart. And it got me thinking, you still with me? We okay? It got me thinking about the value of Scripture and the value it holds in my life. I love God's Word. It's sacred to me. It is living. It is active. And the Lord has used His Word to call me to repentance, to saving faith. He's used it to humble me. He's used it to show me the reason for my hope. He's used, to show me, he's used it to show me the extent of His mercy, the sacrifice of His Son, and the very heart of God Himself. I am far from perfect when it comes to following his word. And and yet the truth is there is no single influence in my life and no single influence in the shape that my life has taken greater than God's word. And so it is deeply personal to me. And as I read over today's psalm, I felt convicted about that question that I started with. And the question is, what do you use scripture for? What do you use scripture for? What do I use it for? Do I treat scripture as a prop? Do I treat it as something useful for a photo op? Because let's be honest, you're sitting in seats and I'm behind a pulpit and I get to talk to you. It's such a strange job I get to do. There aren't many people who every week get to stand in front of a room full of people, the same people, and talk about a book. And that's what I get to do. And I have an occupation that historically has garnered um, respect just by nature of the title. That's less so now. Uh, but I've been searching my heart. Lord, what, if, if I'm going to feel angry about the Bible being used as a prop... Do I use it in that way? Do I treat Scripture in this way? Do I use it to try to paint myself in the best light possible? Do I wield it to obtain power? And is what I use it for, is what I use it for, what other believers around the world and down through time have used it for? Let me explain. Psalm 121, the psalm that we just read, today's passage, is a song about looking to God in times of trouble and trusting in His providential care in seasons when life is hard. It's a cry of the soul What do I consider to be my own times of trouble? And what is the comfort that I seek? For what reasons would I pray that the Lord wouldn't let my foot slip? Here's the truth about my life. I haven't seen that much trouble. Relatively speaking. I have seasons when things have been relationally or financially or medically complicated. uh, More complicated than I might like. But in many respects... I'm a person that just kind of would be the picture next to the description of hashtag blessed, right? I mean, that's kind of been my life. Do I use biblical language for the primary purpose of asking God to alleviate my discomfort and restore me to my desired middle-class ease? I just choked on that sentence. Do I use biblical language for the primary purpose of asking God to alleviate discomfort and restore me to my desired middle-class ease? Is that what I use Scripture for? On the question of what we use Scripture for, let me go a step further. I am an author and a speaker. I've published four books. I've done a lot of talking And I've spent time in Christian publishing. I've been around celebrity Christians. I know what an influencer is. And one of the troubling things I see is Christianity can so easily be turned into a lifestyle brand. Let me ask it this way Is our best Christian life epitomized by curling up with a good book and a mug of loose leaf tea on a covered porch during the peak of autumn? Or is it unlimited college football? Is that what comes to mind when we think of the blessing of God in our life? And is that not maybe turning Christianity into a lifestyle brand? It's convicting to me. Because I think that we we are products of the culture we live in. And you may say, not me. And I think, yeah, yeah, it's like we're steeping in our culture. We can't help but take it in. We can't help but feel it normalize around us. And not everything about it is bad, but we have blind spots. And so we can turn Christianity into a lifestyle brand where the gospel in our minds is primarily about our personal comfort. And we know this is the case if God is out of sight, out of mind until we feel discomfort. And that's when our prayers go up. And when the discomfort that we feel is something that people living in a third world would say, I've... That's really not ever been something that's mattered to me. One of the things that, the stories of racial inequality that I've been listening to um, for years now, and especially a lot lately, uh, one of the things that these stories have shown me about my own heart is that what I, count, what I count as obstacles to overcome and fears to be faced and victories to be had are often solely about me, and they're often solely about my comfort. Are you still with me? Evangelicals do a good job of giving American Christianity a certain sheen as though what God wants for us, as though what He wants for us is ease. And what he wants for us is prosperity. And what he wants for us is for us to have nice things. And so, again, when we read, Where does my help come from? What do we need help for? My answer to that question is going to be very different in so many areas of my life than it would be for my black friends and neighbors, or my poor neighbors, or my chemically dependent neighbors. And this psalm is about seeking the presence of God, and the pilgrim disciple here is saying it's a hard road. It's a hard road to seek the presence of God. The road is rough. The conditions can be brutal. Evildoers lie in wait. And so we can go one of two ways when it comes to dealing with the troubles in this life. Way one, we can, as the psalm calls us to do, ask the Lord, draw me near to you sustain me in your presence in the face of whatever comes my way. Bind me to you. The second way is we can work to arrange a life so free from trouble at all that we just never need to pray a prayer like this. And when option B is our goal, to arrange a life so free from trouble that we never need to ask for help, we will not only distance ourselves from trouble, but we will also distance ourselves from those whose lives are filled with it. Lest their troubles become our troubles too, and then our life is complicated in ways we don't like because it is discomfort. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, which is this beautiful book, I assume many of you have heard of this, it's a, it's a fictional correspondence uh, between an elder demon coaching a young demon about how to destroy a life. And Tape suggests to young Wormwood, his protege, that what he should try to do is try to persuade the target that he doesn't actually need God. Because that's not only going to make him indifferent to God, but it's also going to make him indifferent to the plight of his neighbors. And I think this strategy is still in play. I know it is in my own heart. This strategy to empty life of trouble and to not have other people's trouble entering into my life is, that's when Christianity becomes nothing more than a personal lifestyle and the Bible becomes for us a prop. So the previous Psalm, Psalm 120, was all about what was wrong with the world. It was about suffering. It was about lies. It was about injustice. It was about the hostility of the world that the psalmist was going to leave to bow before the Lord in worship. And if that psalm was about what he didn't want to see anymore, then this psalm is about what he needs to see instead. So Psalm 120 says the situation on the ground is filled with lies and hostilities. Psalm 121 says the journey to a better way is not an easy one. Your feet can slip, verse 3. Verses 5 and 6 say the sun can bear down on you, and you can get lost in the darkness. Did any of you go outside at all yesterday? It was hot, and that happened fast. I'm not ready for that. But you know that feeling of the sun bearing down on you. You can get lost in the darkness. This reference uh, to being struck by the moon is a euphemism, It's a euphemism uh, for what's known as moonstroke, which is another word for lunacy. You won't be oppressed by the heat of the sun and you won't lose your ever-loving mind. That's what he's saying. Evil lies in wait. But the psalmist says this. This is the the big turn in the psalm. The psalmist is telling us, the Lord won't let these things overcome the pilgrim disciple when we keep our eyes fixed on him. Through this life, though this life's journey is fraught with danger and deception and hostility, the Lord will preserve us. Does this mean that we're never going to turn an ankle? There's a child in our church family uh, who was seriously injured this week, injured uh, fingers on her hand in a playground accident, and had to go to the ER and have reconstructive surgery done on these fingers. These things happen, they happen in this life, and they hurt. So yeah, we're still going to turn our ankle, and we're still going to have injuries. But what this psalm is saying, and the promise here, this is how Eugene Peterson puts it. He said, the promise here is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, and no illness, and no accident, and no distress will have evil power over us, that is, will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. How can we be confident of this? Because as this psalm tells us, the Lord is always with you, and he always has been. In this psalm, we see in verses 1 through 4 that the Lord goes before us. So before anything comes into view for you, the Lord has already been ahead of you. The Lord goes before us. In verses 5 and 6, the Lord is with us now. So he goes before us, and he's with us now. In verses 7 and 8, The Lord preserves us forever. What a trifecta. He goes before us. He's with us now. He preserves us forever. That's the hope. That's the hope of the follower of God. Before we ever encountered any trouble in this life, the Lord went before us. In everything we currently face, He is with us. No matter what may come, He keeps us. Where we get into trouble is when we go through hardship thinking God has checked out on us. He says, he who keeps you will not slumber. So the question is, well, what is my expectation of God's role in my life in preserving me? Do I think that it is his job to keep my life free from discomfort and trouble and pain? Or is it his role to lead me through it and to be with me in it and to preserve me? and to shape me and to humble me and to deepen my love for him and my love for others. Eugene Peterson, he says this again. He says, all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. This psalm says God guards us from every evil and he guides us through it. Do we not need a guide right now? Do we not need the Lord's wisdom as we navigate racial tension and inequality and broken systems and distrust across political and racial and spiritual lines? For many of us, the trouble we're in is that we're practically unable to empathize. With another person's suffering, unless it resembles our suffering. So I can't empathize with another person's suffering unless it looks in some way like the suffering I experience. Is that not a kind of evil from which we need to be preserved? Is that not a kind of lunacy? When I look at people responding on social media right now, I see a range of expressions. But there are two that come particularly from white people, particularly from white men, um, that stand out to me. I see people who are convinced already that they see everything clearly, that they know the answers and are posting in order to argue their point and to tell those who push back how wrong they are. Um, I, see, I see white people telling black people that they're overreacting. And folks in this category don't seem to want to listen. They don't ask questions. Instead, they correct, and they argue, and they parse, and they dismiss the actual experiences of others. And then I see folks who are brokenhearted by the obvious divide. And they recognize that they don't understand entirely what it's like to be a person of color in America. And these folks want to hear stories. And they want to own the realities that have sheltered them from injustices others live under every day. And humility and empathy lead the way here. And this psalm is saying that this journey toward the presence of the Lord is filled with injustice and it's filled with trouble and so we have to walk in humility and we have to walk in empathy. We must walk in the light of God's truth looking to Him for our hope in times of trouble and we must ask Him not to let our foot slip into evil or our minds drift into lunacy like Ulysses In the Odyssey, we're asking the Lord to bind us to the mast of His truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. I think it's useful right now. It is not our judgment of the situation which can show us what is wise, but only the truth of God's Word. Here alone lies the promise of God's faithfulness and help. It will always be true that the wisest course For the disciple is always to abide solely by the word of God in all its simplicity. I conclude with this. This psalm is acknowledging we live in a trouble-filled world. Remember, Psalm 121 is a prayer about a journey away from lies and hostility toward... The presence of the Lord. And the psalmist asks the Lord to preserve him on the way. What does he need to be saved from? Well, if you distill it down, what he's saying is save me from abandoning the journey altogether, from losing my sense of purpose, from falling to corruption and evil. As we see today for many, many in this country, the corruption and evil that they need to be delivered from looks different from the corruption and evil that others face. I need to be delivered from the corruption of loving only myself and the evil of not loving others enough to listen with humble empathy. For a great many other brothers and sisters in Christ, they are pleading now loudly for certain corruptions and certain evils to end and for those who cause them to be found out. And my prayer is that God would make us into people who consider the trouble of our brothers and sisters our trouble too. And as we ask the Lord how we should respond, that we would beat our breasts before him and pray, These words, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we talk about salvation, we are talking about your Son, stepping into our world to redeem us and to deliver us from the brokenness of the world that we have built. And the promises that you give us is that his redeeming, saving work is utterly comprehensive. As Tolkien said, every sad thing will come untrue. And so we rest in that and we delight in that. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation, as a church, as we move forward, that you would give us, and this starts with me, a vision bigger than myself. Give us a vision bigger than ourselves. Show us how to love well, how to serve well, how to empathize with humility, how to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. God, I thank you for the time now as we come to this communion table, for the gift that it is to remind us where our hope resides, and to remind us that you have called all of your people around the world to the same table of fellowship, and the thing that grants us access is only you, and so we're grateful for that, Lord. Go with us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.